Christians today. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We appreciate it very much. Seems like we're having a little technical difficulties, but I hope I can, uh, we can hope we communicate with you today on the radio. If, you, if we can't take callers, then we'll have to uh, uh, play, play another game here, but we're having a little trouble not being able to hear through the ra- from the radio station here on our end. So if it sounds odd, you'll know why, but my name is Mike Schmidt. As you just heard, I'm one of the hosts of the show. With me is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing good this morning, Mike. Glad we can be back with you live this week. After I had I had to be out of town last week, I was speaking in uh, the Atlanta area. But we're glad that you can be with us normally and try to take calls today. I'm not sure how it'll work, but we are just Christians as a live call-in show about spiritual matters, and we'd be glad to hear from you about anything that's anything that's on your mind. All you have to do is get a hold of, this, hold of us here at the regular call-in numbers for WPSL, which are which is 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. And we'll be glad to uh, talk to you about anything that's on your mind. We also are available, and maybe today this might be the best way to do it, we're also available by text message. You can text the show at 772 772- Two six zero six one two zero seven seven two two six zero six one two zero is my text number. That's Mike's. Gary's is seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. Now, um, I, I we also are available if you can't listen on the radio or whatever on TuneIn Radio on the app of TuneIn Radio or any Alexa devices or on Google. Just ask for. 1590 WPSL on Alexa, and they'll take you to the station. If you go to TuneIn Radio, uh, just look for WPSL. You can also go to WPSL.com and click on the Listen Live button, and you'll be able to hear us anywhere you are. So tell your friends about that. If they don't live here in the area, they might want to get in on this, and we'd be glad to accept calls, of course, from anywhere that you are at any time. We have had calls from out of state. We appreciate that very much. And uh, we'd welcome calls from anybody else who's listening out there. Whether you agree or disagree, this show's not about just uh, ag- agreeing with what's being said. We certainly don't mind at all. In fact, we, we kind of like calls where there's, where there's some difference so we can have a discussion. Uh, and uh, we'll be glad, to, and glad to, do, to have a discussion with you. This show is not about embarrassing anyone or putting them down or anything like that. This show is about having a, a discussion about spiritual matters. And if we can give you a Bible reference or references to help you with the things that you're discussing, point you in that direction, that's what we're going to try to do. That's our main thrust of this show, to try to point things back to the Scriptures for an answer in our current 21st century situation. And if we don't know an answer, we'll hopefully have the courage to say that. I think we've even said that a few times, Gary. We do have to study about that, think about it, because I can't be prepared for everything uh, on this show. And sometimes people think of stuff that I've never thought of before. I know that's hard to believe, but <laughs> anyway, could happen. Well, but we're, we're not going to have – this show is not about confrontation. Now, if you want to call and criticize us, you feel perfectly at ease to do that. We're going to give you the last word on whatever subject we're discussing. 
is the number to reach. We are just Christians here on WPSL. And, and I'd like to just mention again what I, what I really, really want us to understand and what I want our listeners to understand is John 12, 48. This is what we're about. We're about what's in Scripture. Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. We need to look to what Jesus says. Yeah, that's one of the core presuppositions of this show is that sometimes unstated is that we believe that the words of Jesus Christ in the scriptures are uh, significant. They have eternal consequences for you, and, and that's why we are, that's why we have this show in the first place. And so it's nice to be able to talk about things, but you and I are both going to be held individually responsible for what we think and do uh, by Jesus Christ. And so it's important that we go through this, and, and it may be a process. You know, learning the Bible or being spiritual is a, is a process. Hopefully we grow and change as we need to, and we learn and stay, stay dedicated to that cause of pleasing the Lord. Well, anyway, we'd be glad to have you call in if you're not a believer. This show is not even about that. If you want to call and express why you do not believe in the Bible or why you don't believe in God or spiritual things or other bad experience you may have had with religious people, of course, that's on the table, too. We've had those kind of calls. We appreciate that very much. All right, that's some of the basics about the show. Hope you can call in, and if you want to call in and be with us or text us, we'd be glad to hear from you. We'll try to respond on the air if we can, but that's what We Are Just Christians is about, trying to be just a Christian here in the 21st century. Well, that made me think of another passage in John 17 and about uh, verse uh, 16. Jesus says, they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctify there is set apart. Set apart to God. Right. It's the same root word for the word holy. It means to be put in a, to be set aside for a special use or purpose by, by God or by someone else. And it's one of the many ways the Bible talks about being saved. If you're sanctified, you're saved. Yeah, you, you, your life then becomes dedicated to the Lord and his will or to Christ and his will when, you bec- when you're saved. That's what makes you holy. Being holy isn't being perfect. It isn't something that only a few people can achieve. It's, it's something that all Christians by the fact that they've been saved or set apart into a holy relationship. Now, that requires a change in behavior, most importantly, a change in mindset, understanding that has to grow over time. And that understanding comes from, comes from God, the God's Word. Not just Basically, when he says, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. Mike, I think save them by your truth, your word is truth. Right. Is what is what is is indeed being said here. So what is said in the scripture is very, very important to our daily lives and to our salvation. You just made me think of a of a um, quote I used in a in a sermon two or three weeks ago on planning. A woman was so excited about this article somebody wrote on planning and her idea of responding to uh, plan, the idea of planning the Lord's will. She just, I just get up in the morning uh, with an open mind. I sit down at the table with a piece of paper and a pen. I just let God, God speak to me, and I write down whatever he says, and that's my plan for the day. So I had to throw that. That's the way a lot of people are. But that has, that's got very little to do with what God wants, much more to do with what she wants God's for the dead. day. Because the voice she's hearing in her head is not God's voice. It's her own voice. voice. 
telling her what she thinks. Now, a person who is reading the scriptures and meditating upon them from day to day on a constant basis and praying about those things, their will is going to be brought closer and the things they desire, what they want to do, will be brought closer to the will of God on a continual basis. But the idea that we can just sit down with them every day with a blank sheet of paper and just write down what God tells us. Whatever pops into our mind. It's really a very modern idea. It's not a scriptural idea at all. And that's kind of the way modern people approach it is what what I really want to do. And so, uh, unfortunately, we'd like to talk. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people believe that. We'd like to disabuse you of that notion as that's how you follow the Lord. What you do is you read read his word and let... And not, not do an eisegesis, but an exegesis. Uh, the, the, I know those are complicated <laughs> words. Exo in, exegesis in Greek is the word ex means come out of. So what you do is you let the, speak, let the scriptures speak as you read them, try to interpret them. And then you get out of God's word what, uh, God, wants you what God wants you to know. Iso the word ice in Greek, E-I-S is the way it's spelled in Greek, is into. More often than not, what people will do is they have their own thoughts and ideas, desires, and they read a Bible passage and they put their ideas into the text or on top of the text and they make it say that very thing. Now, I want to give, before we go any further in that, because that's another whole subject, I would like to give out our text numbers again. You can reach Mike at 772 772- Two six zero sixty one twenty seven seven two two six zero sixty one twenty, and the other one is for Gary Jones seven seven two two six zero sixty two twenty seven seven two two six zero sixty two twenty is the is Gary's text number. We'd be glad to hear from you today. Well, that I, that that idea of exogesis actually is part of that John twelve forty eight. The word that I have spoken, Jesus Jesus says, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Right. Because when we stand in judgment, that's the word that he gave us will be the standard by which we're going to be judged. And that's going to become very important to us at that point in time. Unfortunately, it's not important to us right now in a lot of cases. That, And, and even I have that trouble. We got a text from John saying, "Sounds like automatic writing physics. You, the phys- physics uses. I'm not sure about what. I'm not sure what that means. I do know that I met a woman some years ago, um, who did spirit writing. She said, Gary, she didn't like what the Apostle Paul was saying about something I was reading. She said, well, she does spirit writing. She just sits down and the Holy Spirit moves her fingers across the page, and that's how she and she writes it down. That's how she gets God's will." Um, John also added, you can close your eyes, open the Bible, and put your finger down. That's how some people get their information from God. Drop the Bible open, drop their finger, and the Holy Spirit leads them to the verse of the day and so forth. Yes, that's kind of, uh, uh, that's nowhere taught in the Bible. Is that how we're today, today, supposed to receive revelation? And uh, God, here's one to think about. This is where I pointed that to that woman when I had the discussion many years ago. First Corinthians fourteen, um, verse um, thirty-six. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it to you only that it was that it reached? They had this idea that since they had the gift of the Holy Spirit in the church at Corinth at that time, that they could kind of just make up the stuff as they went along, and each one had their own 
word of God and that we could be different from each other and so forth. And it was constantly changing. He, he says, did, did the word of God come from you? Or are, did, are you the only ones that God gave it to? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. If, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So if anyone is going to tell me that they're a prophet or if they're spiritual, I stop them right there. And the first question I want to know is, do you believe that the things that Paul wrote in the scriptures or the scriptures are from God? Or do you not? Are you going to contradict them? Do you believe that they're the commandments of the Lord? A lot of people don't even believe in commandments today, Gary. Yes. And this one, this one interesting, uses that word. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. It's interesting that context, too. This will blow your mind if you don't know it already. <laughs> the context of those two verses is when Paul has just told the Corinthians that women need to be silent in the assembly. So <laughs> how, how does that work for people today? If anyone wants to be spiritual, let them acknowledge the things I write are the commandments of the Lord. I mean, that's another whole subject. I just think it's, it's interesting how God almost anticipates historically the issues that people will, will disagree about. Here. Well, even so when we need to ask, if you, if you claim to be a spiritual person, according to the Bible, you need to acknowledge that the scriptures are the commandments of the Lord. Now start there with what the scriptures say. And we can talk about other stuff, but once you start there, you, you limit this ability of humans just to make up whatever they want. Well, that, that idea of there's being one truth for someone and another truth for someone else, Paul, Paul says in the Galatian letter in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who troubled you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as we've said, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Right. There are not two gospels. There's only one gospel, one gospel. And, and it's written not, There's down. not one for 20, uh, 2020 and not one for, there wasn't one for the first century and now in 2020 there's a new gospel. Not that way. Now, that's the point of this show, that we can go back to the first century, the principles that are written in the Bible, and we can know how to live and understand the world. We can have a worldview, and we can understand the issues around us, understand how to live and please God, be a Christian today, without being uh, uh, caught up in the modern idea that we all make up our own truth or some kind of historical creeds and have to follow the creeds that are written by people a long time ago, which were just their ideas too. Uh, now, th none of this, to Gary, is to say, that reading the Bible is easy and that we all won't have disagreements about it. We're not saying it's just easy. We do believe in a simple reading of the text, which means we, don't, we lay aside and try to not put our own conclusions before we ever start on a text. But it's not an easy thing to do. It requires a lot of, a lot of study, and it requires being willing to change. And it certainly doesn't mean that in, in actual history that people won't have different ideas of what the text means. We have that. That doesn't mean that all those interpretations are correct, but I'd much rather deal with people reading the text and trying to be faithful to it and uh, disagreeing than I would just cutting us loose from the text itself 
And now we live in a world where anybody can say whatever they want, and we're all supposed to accept that and believe it. Well, There's a truth for everybody. Yeah. That, that's total confusion, and, and that's where you are without the revelation of God. Well, what, what I've found is, is basically, Mike, that if you have an agenda, if you have a predisposition, and you allow yourself to read in that mode, you will not find the truth in the Bible. Because no, you will, you will set aside things. You'll that find are, only what your heart wants you to. You'll be you'll led by your quote your, unquote heart, and you'll follow that. And, if, and some people don't even realize, Mike. I think that they have an agenda. They they basically sometimes I don't think consciously understand what the agenda that they have in their mind is doing to them. We all have our presuppositions. Positions. That's that's true, and we ought to acknowledge those. But now, I do believe it's possible to acknowledge our presuppositions and still be fair in dealing with a, with a text of anything, or whether it's a law or whatever it may be. Well, what I've found is the more we understand the different scriptures, because basically what I've discovered in, in my studies, and I haven't been studying it quite as long as you have, but I've been at it for more than 30 long years. Time. Um, basically, the, you, you, if you're honest with what you look at, you may come to one conclusion that fits your presupposition with one scripture or maybe two, but if you keep going, there's going to be others that are going to contradict it and make them, if you make them harmonize, you're going to get away from that presupposition. Right. Now then your integrity is going to be challenged as right. to what you're going to do about that. Right. I've been thinking about this sermon in my head for a long time now, and I haven't ever really just made myself write these things down in some coherent form in a one lesson or one uh, series of lessons and that's about pushing and pulling I believe people as I observe people now as a well some people say elderly man I say just a, I'm middle aged I'm 67 I'm middle aged because I plan on living to be about 120 so I'm middle aged but anyway um, I've been watching this for a long time and I've been and, and more more significantly, I've been I, I try to watch my own heart. I've observed my own heart over the years and how I react to things around me, what I've thought and what I think and why. And pushing and pulling is what I come up with, that people do the things they do, especially things that are wrong or immoral, by being either, either being pushed by their desires or they're being pulled by their desires to some, in some direction. And we ought to be aware in our own hearts when we're being pushed and pulled along. We get pushed along by societal norms as they change. And, then, and we get pulled along by our own lusts and passions. And that, that drives what we think. It drives what we are willing now to accept, which we once, which we once rejected, you see. And um, so forth. Well, there was a Pentecostal preacher a few years ago who had preached so in a church. He preached so much about immorality, and I forgot the man's name. It's, it's, I got the article somewhere, some write-up about this. But he preached against immorality, and he'd been hard on all these young teenage girls that had sex and got pregnant. So well, well, then his daughter got pregnant, and she was a teenager. So now all of a sudden he gets up and preaches that the Holy Spirit had told him that premarital sex wasn't that bad, and et cetera, et cetera. He made an excuse in his own life for this behavior that he had condemned in others. Now, and, and he attributed it to the Holy Spirit, giving him a revelation. Rather than him being pushed and pulled by the events of his own life and his own emotions being in turmoil, it's a, it's a hard situation, but um, 
you have to realize it's, and that's what's going on today. I, I got where I was going to go today, Gary, was a, we might not even get there. The push to legalize polygamy uses the same arguments as the push for same-sex marriage. And there's another one here about that, about uh, uh, legalizing uh, polygamy advocates lay the groundwork for civil rights revolution and so forth. What's that all about? Well, those people are being pushed and pulled by their passions, and somehow they think they can go back to the New Testament and find some kind of, some kind of groundwork for these things. Or, in, these, in this case, they're simply laying aside God's commands or his principles, and they're being pushed and pulled by the current situation in society and their own passions, and so they justify what they want to do. You know, uh, the same way people say that daycare is better for kids or divorce is better for kids. You hear them saying this when they're in the throes of dealing with these difficult problems. And they are difficult problems. But we get pushed. And so the call for all of us is to be grounded in the words of the Scriptures and acknowledge the things that Paul writes or the, or the commandments of the Lord and then try to rein in our passions and look at what we ought to be doing hold ourselves accountable to the same standard we hold others for different issues. And uh, I guess, Gary, shift, shifting gears, I think that's the biggest issue that unbelievers have with Christianity or the Christians. It's this hypocrisy yes. uh, of, of the idea that they would, they would condemn others for the very same things they're doing. Um, and, and I can't blame them for that. How can I defend hypocrisy among Christians and believers? And we see it well, it's, it's in the world all the time. Al- it's not always condemning someone for the very same thing that they're doing. But often it's, it's Christians just don't live up to the standard they try to set for themselves in many things. Right. And, and we see that people, people so, see this. Some of that's just human failing. Some of that's a, pre- a pretense. Yes, they're using it as a weapon. They're using their righteousness as a weapon. It, it, they're they're actually phonies. Others are simply failures, moral moral failures, right. weak. And there's a difference in those two kinds of people, and I know that from dealing with them. So yes, th- those are destructive things. Uh, John texted and said, "People try to bring Jesus from the first century into our time." If you want to understand Jesus' sayings, then you need to study what was going on in the first century in first century Palestine. You need to study Judaism in that time. John the Baptist, Jesus, and Paul were Jews. And, and that's correct. I would add this. That, that's correct as far as it goes. You have to understand what the text says and who it was written to. Now then, because in order to make the proper application to yourself, you have to know that first. This is why we advocate. We are, Gary and I, I can, I'll, I'll put this on him. I think I'm accurate in this. We are textual originalists. You heard about originalists yes. with regard to the Constitution. Uh, I believe the Supreme Court justice, for, and the reason I believe that about the Supreme Court is because that's what I practice with the Bible, that they take a text and they read it in light of what was meant when it was written. They don't make up words and make, put new definitions on words that the framers of the Constitution didn't have. They try to understand the Constitution in the minds of the people that wrote it in a plain way. Then they have to make an interpretation of how to apply that to the 21st century issue at hand. 
Now, we try to do the same thing with the Bible. A diligent student of the Bible reads the parables of Jesus or about uh, uh, Paul and, or even, the, even back to Moses. They try to understand the historical and cultural context of, what, of the time in which this was written or spoken and what the purpose of the author that wrote these books through the Holy Spirit had in mind. Then they interpret the words, this is what those words were talking about. Now, once you do that, now you're ready to make an application here to the 21st century, understanding what that, what that means and how to look at it in that regard. You're now able to make a faithful interpretation of what those words mean. But just to pull out some phrase of Jesus and make it mean whatever you want it to mean simply yeah. won't do the trick. And, and part of that's balancing this context in the Bible against, well, first thing you do is you look at the words that are spoken in their context, you see, in that verse, and you understand right away that, well, um, two scriptures of Jesus, um, Jesus uh, two scriptures, I should say, in the Gospels. Judas went out and hanged himself. Pull up another verse, go thou and do likewise. That's a command of Jesus. Go thou and do likewise. Now, that, that, that's, that's an obvious absurdity in a way, but that's, what, that's exactly what some people do with the Bible and the sayings of Jesus. They pull out two different things, and, and they don't try to understand the scripture, Judas went out and hanged himself in its context, nor do they put the phrase, go thou and do likewise, in its context, and they come up with some in absurd interpretation. Yeah, that's, that's often spoken of, I think, in terms of an old, uh, an old joke about people who actually let the Bible fall open, and it yes. comes to that scripture, Judas went and hanged himself, Throw the Bible open again. Go thou finger, and do likewise. Go, go thou and do likewise. And, and so it, it, it illustrates, I think, two points, that you can't just take part of it. You, you, you have to understand the context, the flow. And what I've often said, and, and I'll say this again, Mike, and maybe I'm getting a little off your subject. But well, basically I, do when, we have a subject? <laughs> well. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> but basically my understanding is when you're reading two scriptures and you – Let's say you read a scripture and you come to a contextual interpretation and then you read another scripture and you come to a contextual interpretation and they are in opposition. You don't understand one or both of them. Right. Uh, one example, I think it's in, the, it's in the Ephesian level letter where Paul says we are saved by faith. And then basically you go to James in James chapter 2 and we're saved by works. And you have to understand how those two things work together. What Paul is actually saying there is faith is the motivator to do the works, and it takes both for us to be saved. And so we have to understand those things. And Jesus illustrates that when he was tempted by Satan. Satan said, uh, throw yourself off, cast, your, cast yourself down, because the Scripture says he's going to bear you up. And the Scripture did say that. Satan act, actually quoted that Scripture adequately and accurately, and Jesus says, no, wait a minute, it's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, which modified what that scripture said, put it in a different limit. And, and that, occurs, that occurs almost everywhere in scripture. And, and it's why the Bible is, in some ways in my view, much more difficult to understand 
than what we're used to in reading your average novel or textbook. The, uh, the other thing about this that's required is to, to understand oh, that the scriptures are, this I guess what I'm trying to say is it seems to a lot of people, if you listen to what we're saying, well, this is like playing a game or it's, it's very difficult. Why doesn't God just make it plain? Well, he has a reason for that. God actually only intends to save those who will seek him. People are not, go people are not going to accidentally end up in heaven, Gary. Uh, I could go do another whole sermon on that. You're not going to accidentally be saved. He says carefully in two or three places, Peter does not was, save yourself from this perverse generation. It's some, salvation is something that is actively sought sought after by those who want to be saved. That's why Jesus can say that wide is the gate to destruction, and so many people go in at it, but few are saved that enter in by the narrow few, gate, few a straight and tight that, way. Few there be that find the way. Right, and I pray that hopefully we can be in that narrow way, hopefully that you, our listeners, can be in that, but it's going to take effort on your part and an intention. It's not going to be accidental that you find yourself in heaven. And because it, Jesus, God requires, I'll give you the, maybe the best example I know of. First of all, Jesus says, for example, in Matthew 11, just before he says, come unto me, all ye that labor, he says, um, at that time, let Matthew eleven twenty five. Jesus answered and said, he's praying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seems good in your sight. Now, he's saying there that the things about him that need to be understood were not going to be understood by the wise of this world. Those who lifted themselves up, thought highly of themselves, were real confident about, about their own abilities, or were not willing to seek and humble themselves. They will not find the Lord. He doesn't intend them to. God wants everyone to be saved, but what that requires of every man is to be humbled and to seek the Lord. He says, you've hidden these things from the wise. The perfect example of this is Jesus himself. Jesus was born according to the prophecies, fulfilling the prophecies of Micah in the city of Bethlehem in a small village down in the southern part of Judea near Jerusalem. But immediately his parents took him back home, not immediately, within two years, they took him back home to Nazareth in the northern part of Galilee, a whole different culture almost, because I just was there. It's a different cultural, even though it's fairly close, in Nazareth. And Jesus grew up in Nazareth. That's why he's called Jesus of Nazareth. That's his hometown. Now, later, when he came back down into, into Jerusalem and other places, preaching, teaching, uh, doing miracles, and people thought he was the Messiah, well, even one of his early disciples says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? How could the Messiah come out of Nazareth? Because they, they knew it should come out of Galilee. He fooled people. And even later in life, the Pharisees and others says, this man can't be the Messiah. He's a Galilean. They dismissed the apostles. Are not all these men who are with him? Aren't they not all Galileans? Because they wouldn't look any further than the surface. The surface said he was Jesus of Nazareth. The whole truth was, if you looked at it a little closer, yes, he grew up in Nazareth, but he was born exactly as the prophets had said 
in the city of David, Bethlehem, in, in Judea. Well, that requires that diligent requires. investigation. Exactly. And, and I want our listeners so to So he dismissed them all. They, they all were going to be lost because they wouldn't even look past the surface. Yeah. You know, Hebrews 11, we'll begin in verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. They had to diligently seek the truth. We have to diligently seek the truth. It's found for us in the scripture. Right. And so, you know, I keep coming back. That's what this show is about. That's what we're, that's what we wish to guide our listeners to. Uh, we, you know, and, and I've told uh, people here in the classes that I teach, you know, I, I'm going to tell you something about the scripture, but I don't want you to trust me. I want you to go look there and find it yourself. You shouldn't be trusting me for your salvation. You should be finding it for yourself in the scripture. Right. All we want to do is help guide you to, the, to all the possibilities that there are that you need to look at and understand. And, and there are different ways that both Mike and I have learned about studying scripture that can be a help to you to find the truth. Right. But you need to find it yourself. Not. Don't listen to me. That's how you become a New Testament Christian. Just one. You don't go find the Nicene Creed and read that and right. read whatever it says or the creed book, the creed or, from some Catholic church or, or something. Or you don't read John 3.16 alone and become a Christian. No. It takes more than that. It takes more than that, and that's what we're telling you. So go look for yourself. That's why we love questions. That's why we love people calling in and say, well, well what about this? Because it gives us a chance, and, and to be honest with you, Mike, I think we both learned from those. Right. Someone texted in, and I guess it's referring to your comment about faith and works and mm -hmm. the Romans and trying to put Romans mm -hmm. and James together. Luther refused to do that. He called James an epistle of straw. That's exactly right. He he preferred Romans in his mind over mm -hmm. James, and so he denigrated James, the Word of God. I believe that James there is the half-brother of Jesus. That's who that, yes. that James is. That's a pretty tough one. He called it, he's, uh, the full quote is something along the lines of, Paul wrote epistles of gold and silver, but James is a right strawy epistle because it had this straw of the fact that we're saved by works and not by faith alone. His doctrine was faith alone. And so I just would have to call that attention to that, all these people going to these uh, community churches and uh, other churches in this area all over the country, evangelical churches who believe that we're saved by faith alone, y you need to back up and take a look at what the scriptures say, not well, what the creed book says. Well, I don't, know creed you, says. I don't know if you've been watching the advertisements, but basically uh, Franklin Graham has an advertisement on many of the, uh, if you've seen that, he, and seen he says, it. come pray with me, come pray with me, say you know, pray that Jesus will come into your heart and you'll be saved. Basically, that amounts to the sinner's prayer, which, Mike, is just not in the Scripture. Someone needs to go and show me in the New Testament where praying saved anyone. As a matter of fact, Paul By itself. Paul tried to pray for several days, and nope. it didn't save him after nope. he met Jesus on the road. So we're told he prayed for a long time, but Ananias had to come and tell him to go be baptized. Cornelius was praying. God said, I'll send a man to you and tell you words, but whereby you might be saved. 
But so just just to challenge it, and it's it's the it's just an a, overt attempt to get away from any idea that uh, that man has any responsibility to do anything with regard to his salvation, and that's a fundamental error. Well, we've talked about these things many times, Gary. And I guess the thing that I would recommend to people, if you want to get started, I'll just go back to the beginning. If you would like to get started in um, in becoming a New Testament Christian, and you don't even know where to start, I mean, of course, uh, you can call me or Gary up. We'll be glad to tell you exactly what to do, and you can just take our word for it if you'd like. And I believe if you did that, you'd be fine. Ha ha. But and I. I, I, we, I, we definitely know what we think the Bible teaches about these things, so it's not a matter that we don't know. But on the other hand, if you want to get started, I recommend to people who aren't familiar with the Scriptures, take one of the Gospels. I recommend Matthew, Mark, or Luke. John's a little different. Well, you can start with John, and maybe it's the best one. Take one of the Gospels, sit down with a notebook in your Bible or whatever you're going to read the Bible on, get one of the major translations, like the King James, the New King James, New American Standard Version, a new, uh, new English Standard, English Standard Version, those kind of versions that are literal translations. Throw away the New Living Bible and and the Message and all that. Throw those in the trash. Get an actual literal translation of the Scriptures, like the one, like the major translation. I just listen. Take that. Sit down with it. Begin to read as you read a paragraph or two, not just one verse. Read a paragraph or a whole chapter. And then write down a piece of paper, questions that come up, things that strike you, whether you think they're odd or not. Write them down, and then when you get done, look at those questions, begin to try to answer them. If you want to, if you want to talk about those, I'd be glad to talk with you for hours about any of those. We can meet, and t- I'll talk with you about your questions, try to point you to other scriptures, or you can call me or text me. That'd be fine. But just start with the Gospels. And I say that because the Gospels were designed to bring people to a point of belief that Jesus Christ was God's son. Well, that, some that seem would, to be written to the Romans, some to the Jew, Jews, you know, uh, some to the Greeks. The, the only change I would make to that, Mike, is if, if we have a person that you already believe that Jesus is the son of God, start with the book of Acts. Well, yes. Uh, I'm speaking to someone who just wants to get started altogether, doesn't even order to begin. Yes. Uh, I, it's, I, I read... Yeah, I read the book of Acts in the car yesterday driving back from Georgia. Well, I wasn't driving. I was riding in the car while my wife was driving. I don't generally read too much while I'm driving. But anyway, um, it's a a startling book. It's an amazing Amazing book. book. It's just so powerful compared to to the pablum that I hear preached and taught in so many churches about feelings and whatever. The book of Acts is so powerful. And it has examples of conversion. Of people being saved, right. It has those examples in it, not one of them being the sinner's prayer. Right. Not one of them, of those examples, is an example of the sinner's prayer. Now, th- let that sink, in, sink right. in for a minute. There are, I don't know exactly how many examples there are, but uh, I can think of four right now, but there's probably more. But basically, not one of those examples has at its center the sinner's prayer. And there's not one of those examples that does not include baptism. Right. So those are the examples of people who were converted and saved. Not one example omits baptism, and not one example uses the sinner's prayer. Right. That's all. Uh, if you read that book through and through, 
you you'll see if you're if you if you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, my advice is start there. Yeah. If you already believe. If you already believe. Of course, uh, the Gospels give a background to the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts gives a background to the Epistles. Yes. I think that's probably why they're in the order they are in the New Testament. It isn't necessarily chronological, although I think the Gospels obviously came before the Epistles historically. Uh, we can discuss when the oldest copies we have of these are there, when we, what dates they are, but that doesn't tell you when they were actually were written or, or circulated among people. But the, those three, they give a background for those things. That's why in the Old Testament, the Jews, so many times Jesus referred to the law and the prophets. And sometimes the law, the prophets, and the writings. That's how the Jews classify the Old Testament. Uh, they're a little bit different order in the Jewish Bible, so to speak, than they are in, in, in the modern Christian Bibles, put that way. But you have the law, the Ten Commandments, and then the, all the rest of the law in, uh, in, in um, Genesis, uh, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. You have the history of Genesis that precedes the law and tells people why there was a law in the first place. Then you have the law, and then all. Then you have the writings and the prophets, which show the outworking of the law in history, and God giving a different revelate a different aspect of this revelation in poetry and in prophecy. So they're all related to each other. But without the Torah, without the law itself, or without the history of Genesis to lead you up to the law, you have no basis to understand what the prophets are saying. It makes no sense to read the prophets first. Uh, it wouldn't, it, and then of course, without the Old Testament, some of the New Testament doesn't really have any historical context, does it? Well, you don't know why they were waiting for a Messiah, or who, why they were wanting him to come in Bethlehem. You don't know a lot of things. Well, if you if you if you go back and look at many of those Old Testament prophecies and some of the things that were used, uh, you begin to understand some of the terminology. I think, Mike, that's in the New Testament. You you begin to understand why Jesus called himself the Bridegroom. Because it's mentioned in the Old Testament, he, the the basically the prophecies of him refer to him in many cases as a bridegroom or as a bridegroom. You begin to see that there was uh, something of the equivalent of a marriage relationship between God and His people. You begin to see the basis for that terminology that is used in the New Testament. He, especially when you get to some of the apocalyptic writing that's in the New Testament, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even. Basically, people that try to understand the Book of Revelation in the New Testament without having a very good foundation in the language of the Old Testament, it, it's it's almost futile to try to come to the right thing without that understanding of that Old Testament language. Right. Because it's got many of the same symbols and many of the same types of language in it. And you just, if, if you just pick up Revelation not knowing anything about the rest of the New Testament and read it, I don't see how anyone gets anything out well, of they that. Do. They, just make up what the, they just make up whatever meaning they want, Gary. They yeah. do get something out of it. They, they get whatever they want. They get premillennial dispensationalism out of a lot of them. Because they get whatever they want. Because that's what they want. Right. So you don't, you, don't, you're not, you don't have a background for it. Now, I do believe someone can become a New Testament Christian without knowing the Old Testament. Uh, because they can come to a belief that Jesus Christ is God's son 
and they can be baptized for the remission of their sins, and they can follow the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament. They can be a Christian. But the richness and the background is not, that a person who does that is not going to be content without knowing the Old Testament. Because when they begin to read God's Word in the New Testament, begin to try to understand it, it's so interconnected with the Old that much of it will be baffling. Without they're going to be forced to go back and learn what it means to understand yeah. it. And, and their faith in Christ will be magnified well, that's the, by an understanding of that's, the prophecies that's of the That's one Old of the Testament. major things. For me, Mike, that was one of the major things that Old Testament studies did. It increased my faith. That, because none exactly of that, what they're supposed yeah, to do. None of, none of the things that happened throughout that history could have been... Once you start stacking those things up, the probability of all of those things happening just by happenstance right. is impossible. You have to understand that God was working to make this happen, and it increases your faith as you go along. Old Testament prophecy is a tremendous faith increaser when you actually learn what it was and when it was and learn to see when it was fulfilled. All of these things bring you to the faith. And, and I, I, well, I made a mistake a while ago, Mike. I've been studying this for almost 40 years. 1981 was when Sharon yeah. and I came to Christ. So it's... Uh, I have to uh I have to understand time is passing faster yeah, than I'm used I to. Know. Uh, That's why I was thinking the other day how many events that I think were fairly recent that were are, actually are actually thirty, 20, forty 20 years, years ago. ago. Yeah, and I forget that when I'm talking and I thought of this a few times when I spent some time this week with some of my grandchildren talking and my son and I and daughter we were talking about some of these different historical things that have happened, political things, things like that. I was talking about some of the things that I've done in my life, we were laughing about some of the dumb things I've done, and I realized how long ago those things are, and I tell this to my grandchildren or my you know, grandson-in-law, and it's like they look at me, man, you are ancient, <laughs> I'm talking about things happening in 1960-something or 1970-something, and you, I remember the 50s and things that went on in the 1950s. I told them I was born when Harry Truman was president, you know, and they were like, Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> it was only eight years after the drop after the atomic bomb that I was born. You well, were closer than that. Oh, I was only two years. Yeah, two <laughs> years. Yes, after the atomic bomb was that's ancient history, Gary. That's uh-huh. way back. If you come to a history textbook today, that's not the end. That's not the last chapter of the textbook. You got a bunch <laughs> of other chapters after that in history textbook now. Well, see, I can remember when <laughs> I can remember when Eisenhower was elected the first time. Not just the second time, but right. the first time. Yeah, I can't remember that. Uh, well, yes, I I can't remember it. I was born, I was born, the week he was elected, the week after he was elected president. Well, Harry Truman I, was still president. I was five uh, years old when he was elected the first time, and I remember being so disgusted that all I could see was those blasted political conventions on television. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. So. Uh, that's that's kind of the thing we're coming to. But I remember things very similar to what's going on now, only the names were different. I remember the Black Panthers. I remember the Weather Underground being virtually the same organizations as Antifa and Black Lives Matter today. They had the same goals. I, I preached uh, some of the same lessons um, up, in, up in Mountain View Church in, in Cumming, Georgia. They have two services on Sunday, some, one service for people that – want to wear a mask, other one is mask or optional. So I gave two sermons. I did the same trip that I had done here a couple weeks before on all men are created equal. And uh, 
I was talking about the fact in that sermon that a lot of people, young people particularly, think that discussing racial inequality is something brand new that, that their generation has just discovered. You know, that, that Americans have never discussed racial inequality or dealt with it. They're the, they're the first generation that's noticed we have a problem and wants to deal with it. And, and I talked to them about, you know, remembering as a young man when Martin Luther King was a saint. Before that time, while he was still active teaching and, and, and leading protests, those are not, and they're, they were my, they were just kind of stunned. I could see the look on all people's faces. They were just kind of taken aback, almost, because they didn't even know that that had happened before. That the teaching is so shallow today. This generation, strangely enough, like most others, thinks it's the first one to ever experience pretty much anything. And um, this this struggle has been going on for a long time, in different ways, and like a lot of other things. We're not the first generation to discuss some of the very people that we, uh, the, the very issues we're discussing about, the nature of Christ and the church and Bible study and the issues about women speaking and all the, all those issues have been discussed over and over again. And I know this because I have books that are a couple hundred years old in my library. Not only do they discuss these issues, but they refer to books way before that that are discussing these same issues and people have the same questions and same things. So we need some historical perspective on some of this stuff a little bit. Well, if you if you throw away your history and don't learn history, you're bound to repeat it constantly, and that's the cycle we're in now. I, I see us trying to th- literally destroy the history that this country has, and w- you can bet we will repeat the mistakes that are made over and yes. over and over. Uh, yes, it's it's a uh, erasing history never is a good idea. You don't have to be proud of history, but you don't need to erase it. Uh, somebody just texted in, uh, back in the Walter Cronkite days, people trusted reporters. I didn't trust reporters back then. I don't know about everybody else. All you other uh, ridiculous people may have trusted Walter Cronkite. I didn't trust him. I didn't trust Tom Brokaw. I remember my dad, Gary, back way back in the 60s. My, my father wasn't that much of a political creature, but we would watch a presidential news conference or something would come on. And it, as soon as it was over, then the talking heads, Brokaw and Cronkite, Cronkite and all those fellows would come on, David uh, Huntley and Brinkley. And he would sit there and say, what? I just heard what the man said. He didn't say anything like what they're saying. Oh, well, how long has that been going on? Oh. A long time. Well, so the idea that Walter Cronkite was unbiased, if peop- that's one reason we're in trouble because people believe that stuff. Everybody is, has presuppositions, and you just have to be able to see what they are. And I don't have a problem with someone admitting, this is my presupposition. But you pretend like media does today that we're unbiased. Well, I guess they not, I don't know if they're even pretending anymore. I don't think they're pretending But, but I, I, don't, I don't buy that. that that's, just, that's very dangerous. And and uh, same thing is true in Bible study. So yes, we have presuppositions on this show about the inspiration of the Scriptures and about uh, the originalist kind of plain reading of the text and and uh, applying those things to us today in a in a straightforward way. A, a rejection of human tradition as much as possible. Now we're, we may be guilty of misusing some of those things or not being consistent at times. But those are our presuppositions. We try to practice according to those presuppositions, and we're not going to hide that from people. 
when we talk to them about it. We can, we can defend them. I'm not saying you just have to accept my presuppositions. One of the great things to call about on this show would be to challenge me and Gary's presuppositions about the text and the inspiration of the Bible and, and the belief in Jesus Christ as God's Son or, or our belief in um, evolution or whatever it may be. Challenge us on those things. That's an interesting show. So we're not afraid to defend them, but I'm not afraid to, to tell you what they are either. I'd like to think that they're my presuppositions because I thought them through and made them, by their nature, rock-solid presuppositions. It, it, when Thomas Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. When he says we hold these truths to be self-evident, he was stating this is our presupposition. It doesn't mean that he has started there. Jefferson could defend why he believed it was self-evident that all men were created equal. You know what I'm saying? And so he, he just said, for this document of the Declaration, we're going to start there, though. And so when Gary gets on here and quotes John 12, 48, about the word of God judging you, he's not just trying to throw that in your face. He's telling you when he says that about some of our presuppositions for this show and then because of those presuppositions, what it actually means. <coughs> if there is a God in heaven who is morally righteous and he does not punish the wicked, how can he be called just? If there is no hell to settle all the injustice in the world, how can God be just? Now, there's another presupposition that we're not afraid to stand on, that there is an eternal hell for those who eventually reject God or uh, eternally, and, and so forth. So, anyway, there's a ton of those presuppositions out there. Yes, and, and, and we, we fail to recognize, Mike, how important they are. That one you just mentioned, that there is a hell, and that God will exact justice on the day of judgment, is such an important one to our society that we can't even comprehend what would happen to us if we throw that completely All away. We can, we're, well, in yeah, because then we have, we're in the process of doing it Well, right yeah, now. because then there's no real meaning to anything that does happen. If there's no hell, what does it matter if a policeman brutalizes a black person for no good reason? What difference does it make? Just a temporary difference of one person's life. And in the scale of the universe, if there's no God, and if there's no heaven or hell, it makes no difference at all. Oh. But if there's a heaven and hell... All those individual acts of injustice and cruelty make a big difference. And God is going to settle the score one day if we don't repent of our own of our sins. Uh, whatever. I'm just using a current social issue, for example. Well, the, see, you know, we use laws and the... Justice means something. We use laws and the threat of punishment to, desert, to basically deter bad acts. But that's the ultimate deterrent. God is, if, if you believe in God, if you believe in hell, that's the ultimate deterrent to bad acting. And what, we re and what God's really saying is you need to look in my word to see what I consider good acting. So that you may, basically, when I, when, Mike, when I say someone is saved, what, what, what do you think? Do you, what do you think that really means? One of the definitions that I came to the conclusion of after several years of study was that is 
basically being saved is, a, is to avoid the judgment of God. Saved we're, from his wrath. We're right. saved from his wrath. We will, we will avoid his wrath at, at the end of time. That's what being saved means. You're, you're, you're going to be... Which contradicts so many people's vi- vision of who God is and what his nature is. All this talk in the current situation of justice and injustice... Doesn't, if to a Marxist, the only thing that can mean is some kind of temporary correction of an oppressor-oppressing situation. That's what justice is. And it's going to be meted out in a very uh, prejudicial way by individual people against their own enemies for their own economic or social reasons. To you and I, when we talk about injustice, we're talking about something that is eternally, morally right or wrong that needs to be corrected. And and not only can rich and powerful people be unjust, but the poor and powerless can be unjust too, according to the Bible. Yes. And and that's we have a totally different understanding of the idea of injustice. Because what we believe is that what makes injustice unjust is it is in violation of the character and the commands of God. That's what injustice is. It violates God's character, his created intent for man, therefore it's unjust or wrong or immoral. You can use a lot of different words there. But to a secular person or to a Marxist, those have very limited kind of definitions in human society. So we use the same language sometimes, but we don't mean the same things at all. Uh, let me give you another verse. You remind me of a verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, Paul says that um, we make it our aim, verse 9, whether, whether present or absent, whether alive or dead in the context, to be well-pleasing to him. Why? For, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he hath done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So, this hits at several ideas. Number one, that there is a God who will make a, has a day of reckoning in store for human beings. And that each individual person will be brought before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged, as you said from John 12 and 48, by the words that Jesus spoke, and will be judged on the deeds of the body, not on some whether we just say we believe. There is an element of that in there, of course. But in the end, he says, humans will be judged on the deeds we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Now that lends a whole different character to the idea of doing what's good and doing what's right and just and fair. Now, this isn't the whole gospel, obviously, but it, import, it but imparts some important part of it. Well, we got less than a minute left, Gary. Well, a 10-second comment, then we got to stop. Read, read Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5 and following. Basically, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and it gives you what kind of mind we ought to have. The mind of Christ. Right. Well, thanks for listening today. We really appreciate it very much for listening to We Are Just Christians. Hope you'll tune in again next week. We'd like you to take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. We'd also like to invite you to our worship assembly, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard at 10 and 11 o'clock today. May God bless you this week. Oh, my God.